0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Primary Care Podcast. It's your boy, Dr. Mark List. Uh, today, we're going to get an episode. Uh, before, But before we do that, we uh, want to hit up the Primary Care Pod at gmail.com. Gmail.com inbox for today's joke. Uh, but this is a place that you can send us any uh, news articles, review articles you want us to review, uh, any new studies, any new guidelines, uh, any new updates that you want to hear from us. Um, uh, we also want to hear from your, your feedback and your comments uh, or any sponsorship opportunities. But uh, in lieu of that, today we're going to hit up a, a, a joke that was in there. Um, Dr. List, Dr. List, I have a joke for your podcast episode this week. All right, Anonymous. Uh, uh, well, let me hear the joke. Okay, so the joke reads. Uh, a patient was really mad at me this week. He got so mad at me that he said, I hope you die in a deep hole filled with water. Well, I know he means well. That's the joke. Oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. Uh, All right. If you have any good jokes, uh, email us at primarycarepod at gmail.com or any of the other stuff we talked about. Uh, Bob, let's start the podcast and get away from that garbage. Primary care podcast is written by any physician for an audience of other physicians, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, residents, medical students interested in primary care topics. This is not a podcast for patients. It should not be used as medical advice. This is also a personal podcast. Produced on my own time, solely reflecting my personal opinions. Statements of this podcast do not reflect the views or policies of my employer, past or present, or any other organization with which I may be affiliated. Thank you for listening to the primary care podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List, here to bring you the latest news, guidelines, and updates from primary care sources around the globe, keeping it under 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry and I'm not that smart. We'll welcome back to the podcast, everybody: pod girls, pod boys, pod peoples, uh, pod practitioners around the country, uh, around the world, around the globe. Uh, we today are talking uh, about primary prevention with statins in the moderate risk group. Who do we treat, and who do we just rely on lifestyle changes? And this gets into a little bit of the uh, ACC/AHA. Uh, guidelines uh, and, and some of the updates that talk about, you know the uh, lowering the risk of your coronary artery disease, uh, lowering your risk with primary prevention, uh, and, and and really who, who benefits from statins and who doesn't, right? Uh, we all know that calculator that uh, a lot of us are using uh, right now on the ACCAHA website, um, where you punch in a bunch of different numbers, their uh, blood pressure, uh, their total cholesterol, their HDL cholesterol, uh, their uh, smoking status, their diabetic status, et cetera. Uh, you also have to have their age. As that's a, a major player uh, if they're male or female, as those are major, major details in the uh, cohort pooled equation. And that spits out a number. And what does that number tell us? Well, based on the 2018 guidelines from the ACC AHA, right, uh, there's people who are obviously are low risk and should only modify lifestyle changes to live a healthier lifestyle to reduce the risk for a heart attack. Those are people with a, uh, a, a risk calculator-based 10-year risk of developing uh, ASCVD event um, of under 75 Now, between 5% and 7.5% is considered borderline, um, and then 7.5% is intermediate risk. And that's when the guidelines talk about you could potentially um, start a statin on these patients, right? You could potentially start a statin. And then high risk is obviously anything above 20%, uh, where that definitely has a lot of benefit to starting a statin. And again, we're talking about primary prevention, not secondary prevention. We're also not talking about diabetics. Diabetics by themselves uh, exclude that, uh, are, are, are excluded from this discussion today. They should always be on a statin just because it puts them at a higher risk. We also talk about people who are super duper high risk that they, you know, you punch their numbers in the calculator. They've never been on a statin before. They don't doctor very much. They show up in your clinic and you look at them and you say, oh man, you are a walking heart attack risk. You know, your your risk score is above 20%. Those people are, are automatically on a statin just because they get such high benefit to it. Now, using the pooled cohort equation, right, to decide whether to initiate statins or not, there's a big range. And uh, we're going to talk about this article today that's going to bring this up, between 5% and 20%, okay? There's been some um, some feedback uh, that that pooled, pooled cohort equation might actually be overestimating the risk. And so there's a chance that while, you know, 5% or 7.5%, um it sounds like a reasonable number. That actually might be an overestimate of the patient's risk. Uh, so there's this big gap where there's this intermediate risk. And whether you use 5% as your cutoff or 7.5%, I use 7.5% in my own practice, but 75 to 20% is this intermediate risk where the guidelines talk about it is reasonable to start a statin on this patient. Okay. In my own practice, I do a couple things. And um, one of the things is I always say when I'm when I'm emailing back to the patient or portaling back to the patient or have my nurse call the patient, I always say, you know, your satin, your 10-year your, your risk of developing a heart attack, a stroke, some kind of event based on your cholesterol, uh, or based on your risk profile is, let's say, 9%. Now, this means that in the next 10 years, you are 91% likely not to have an event. But the national recommendations would say that it is reasonable to start a cholesterol medication. Then I go on to say, but I often find that this is sometimes a motivator for patients to work on their diet, to work on their exercise, to improve their blood pressure and their cholesterol to stop smoking and to lower the risk for a heart attack enough that they might not need a statin. And so sometimes I will just say, let's let's try lifestyle changes and get back to me in a year. Okay? And the guidelines talk about that that's okay, that you can push lifestyle changes, but a statin is probably indicated for these people who are in this intermediate risk group, right? So I want to talk about this article today that I, uh, I read. Actually, this came from a YouTube uh, video. Yes, YouTube is giving you my ideas. Yes, that's how, that's how low I'm stooping. But the, the article, uh, the view, uh, the YouTube uh, video has 24 views by the way okay but this is from the Mayo Proceedings channel this is HOPE H O P E in all caps for rational statin allocation for primary prevention it's a 12 minute video if you're interested but it's two uh, it's two uh, researchers one is Dr Carl Oringer from the University of Miami School of Medicine in Florida and then one is Dr Kevin Mackey who's a PhD epidemiologist at Indiana University School of Public Health now uh, they have an article coming out in August 2020 issue of Mayo Clinic Proceedings and Basically, their, their title is, so this is coming out, uh, it's published in July 6th and it'll be, that was, on, that was online and then apparently it's gonna be in the August, uh, the August uh, copy of Mayo Clinic Proceedings, but hope for rational statin allocation for primary prevention. A coronary artery calcium picture is worth a thousand words. So what we're talking about when we're talking about uh, what do we do to these intermediate, intermediate patients? I described my process, which I say, you know, yes, you could start a statin. The guidelines say that a statin could lower your risk for heart attack or stroke, or we could do lifestyle changes for a year and see how things look. And I will tell you that many patients. They hear bad things about statins, they and they really want to make a change, so they will try lifestyle change. And sometimes I'll see them for a year, and sometimes they'll make a big change, and they will have lost a ton of weight. Their their numbers look great, uh, and, and they've overall you know reduced their their percentile on their uh, on their a, on their pooled cohort equation, the the ACC AHA calculator, right? Uh, their number now looks better, but every year that number is gonna get worse because age is a major player when it comes to development of coronary artery disease and also that pooled cohort equation. Uh, The numbers only go up, right? Unless you're making some dramatic changes to your lifestyle or stopping smoking, et cetera. So this article talks about how, um, and this YouTube video, right? Talks about the fact that you can make these clinical decisions not only just based on this percent that you get from the equation, right? but then also using other tools. And they talk about using coronary artery calcium score. And we, in general, in primary care, probably underutilize coronary artery calcium score. Now, it's not a perfect test. It's not an amazing test, right? But it does have some utility when it comes to risk stratifying. When do we don't use it? When should we never use it? We shouldn't use it in low-risk people. I've had people who are 35 years old who come and ask me my opinion about our local, we've got a Planet Heart screen, so you can go get a Planet Heart screen for, for really super cheap, 50 bucks for a cardiac screen, 75 for both cardiac and carotids. And basically, it gives you this coronary artery coronary calcium score. gives you some labs, so it's a really cheap price. But the problem is, is that for low risk people, it doesn't tell you much. Uh, so if you're low risk, uh, these people oftentimes will have like a family member who had a heart attack at you know in their 70s, and they say, "Oh, well, my wife thinks we should get one just to make sure I'm I'm healthy because you know maybe I'm obese or overweight, and maybe their cholesterol levels aren't terrible, right?" But they they do this coronary calcium score when they are low risk, and if it gives them a moderate return, right, it's not zero, but it's under, you know, the hundreds, That that's a really, really awkward place to get in because there's not a ton of benefit to doing that test. And there's the low risk of radiation exposure. And you're going to find a lot of incidentalomas in the lungs, lung nodules, et cetera. I can't tell you how many times my patients have come back and now they're on a, oh, well, maybe this patient should be screened for lung cancer because they've got these nodules. We have to do a follow-up CT scan to make sure they're not growing because they have some weird exposure to something, you know, or maybe they're low risk, but then I have to talk my patients out of doing a follow-up CT scan, which is the more likely thing, which they are low risk. These are probably completely benign. Um, The Fleischner criteria or the lung rad screens, they're they're low risk, so they shouldn't get a CT scan. But now that they know there's nodules in there, these patients are panicking because they think it's lung cancer at the age of 35 without a smoking history, etc. So then I'm having to talk them out of getting a repeat CT scan. So it's a nightmare. It's also not a great test for somebody who is above that 20 percent who is an active smoker who has terrible cholesterol who's a diabetic right we know you're at risk what is that coronary calcium score going to do on the off chance it's of a zero do i really really think that you're not going to be a patient that's going to have you know a heart attack or a stroke based on you no you're going to be on a statin because you're super high risk so it, it and and for patients that have for patients that have uh symptoms active symptoms it's a terrible test you can't you could you could be somebody who's having you know active coronary artery disease causing anginal chest pain. And a coronary artery calcium score can be pretty pretty negative or, or pretty low, and it could still be a real thing. So it's not a good test for any of those people. But for people, if they're in this moderate risk, uh, there's some evidence to say maybe there's a decent, maybe it's a decent test for risk stratifying. So what does the evidence say? So let's look at a different study that's that's linked in this In this Mayo Clinic of Proceedings article, okay? And they looked at a different study with 5,800 participants, age median of 69 years old. 86% of these people in this cohort were statin eligible based on that equation calculator, right? So they followed them for a median of about three years and a coronary artery calcium score of zero or 10 or less, okay? So a very, very low coronary artery calcium score. Was found to be associated with approximately an 80% lower risk of developing coronary artery disease events, based on than than expected based on the traditional risk factor assessment. So, 80% decreased if you have a very low coronary calcium score. Okay, then looking at a different trial um, on you know in this article, if you if you read the article, there's links in here. Um, but so then they looked at a different study with 4,200. Patients, okay, and these again were people that were primary prevention, no diabetes, whatever. These were a younger population, about 59 years old, okay. So they looked at 589 of these people in this cohort, okay, were borderline risk, and another 1,300 were intermediate risk. So these are the type of people who have a coronary artery calcium score, or sorry, that they have a ASCVD risk score. You know, you type in the, you know, you type in your numbers on your calculator, you get your pooled cord equation and so there's about 1800 people in this in this study that were between 5% risk and 19.9% risk right so these are the people that the evidence says well you can start a statin if you want okay so in this group right these 1800 people a whopping 57% had coronary artery scores of 0 that's crazy. So that was of borderline risk individuals. And then intermediate risk individuals, slightly higher, was 45% had a coronary artery calcium score of zero. So these are people who, based on the equation that the ACC AHA gives us, would be eligible for statins. And yet 45% of the ones with even higher levels, between 7.5% and, and 20%, and 57% in the 5 to 7% risk, right, 5 to 7.5% risk, have very 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 low coronary calcium scores. Okay, forty-five percent of those who would absolutely be put on a statin. Okay, so if you re recla- that would basically recalcul- reclassify your risk and put it lower. So uh, again, I'm gonna I'm gonna the 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 highlighted this this article they talked about coronary artery calcium scores of zero reclassified ASCVD risk in forty-nine percent of those calculated with the risk between five percent and nineteen point nine percent. So. These are people who right now, the guidelines say, yeah, you should put them on a statin if, if lifestyle changes alone aren't lowering the risk. And yet these people, 49% of these people in this study had coronary calcium scores of zero or close to zero, which reclassified them to not need a statin. Okay, so they do some estimating and calculators in here. Uh, and again, th- this is estimation and model-based stuff. Um, but they, they talk about, um, gosh, what would your... Uh, based on the HOPE-3 trial, which was a primary prevention trial, placebo versus rosuvastatin, using the numbers in this trial. They then created basically an estimated event rate and number needed to treat uh, to prevent one ASCVD event uh, based on an estimated coronary calcium score. And I'm not going to go into how they did this, but basically it's did some math and some modeling using the HOPE-3 numbers. And they looked at uh, the The overall, if your patient had a coronary artery calcium score of zero, okay, that were, then you're in intermediate risk, okay, you'd need a number needed to treat of 206 patients to prevent one event over five and a half years. 206. So that's a big number. But if your coronary calcium score was above 100, you only need 50 patients. So a number need to treat of fifty is uh, again significantly better than number you need to treat of two hundred and six. When we're talking about these are the people that might have the exact same number when you push when you when you punch in their their uh, their numbers in that a, a that ACC AHA calculator the pooled cohort equation as we've been talking about, they could have the exact same percentage, the exact same number, and their coronary calcium score differentiates them dramatically, right? Uh, uh, 0 to 0 to 10 or under uh, 80% less risk of developing an event. So a number need to treat dramatically different from 206 to 50 based on their model. And that number gets that number need to treat goes lower in all in all situations uh, the longer the longer that the patient lives, the longer that you follow them. So there again, uh, I want to talk a little bit about this because I think this is a really good tool then that that these experts are recommending that potentially if you have people that are in this 5 to 19.9% or even 7.5% to 19.9% risk of 10 year ASCVD risk right using that calculator that using the coronary calcium score could be a really good tool to help you differentiate who's really at risk and who's you're just treating numbers right who who you're just making yourself feel better when or where you're getting your bang for your buck so again i hope that this has definitely uh, this has definitely been um, a change in my practice a little bit looking at not only am I going to talk about you know maybe waiting a year and doing lifestyle factors for a lot of different reasons, but this kind of validates the fact that the numbered into treats are actually, pretty decent uh, in those high-risk people. But again, you might not know who's high-risk because those percentages might be the exact same uh, because they're in that intermediate percentage-based, but they're high-risk because they have a higher coronary calcium score. Um, I think it's also interesting because my organization uses a coronary artery calcium cutoff of 400 units. And in the study here, they use 100 units as the cutoff. So, again, I think that's something to keep in mind. If your organization, the moderate risk is, you know, under 100, great, that follows in line with what Mayo Clinic has here. Uh, if you are in the Mayo Clinic proceedings here and the HOPE-3 trial. But if you're if you're looking at, like my organization, it's under 400 units. So I think that's important then that you recognize as a clinician between that 100 to 400 gap, your patients might still be at risk. Um, and your number of treats are, are, are much, much lower because they have a higher risk of developing a heart attack, a stroke, and ASCVD event in the next 10 years. So again, I hopefully this, this kind of What do we do with those intermediate risk people? What should I do? Again, I'm still going to recommend lifestyle changes for everybody. I'm still going to recommend, gosh, we probably don't need to put you on a statin. We can probably wait a year. But I think then I will also now start a lot more pushing for those intermediate risk people, which I, I currently still do. Um, about maybe checking out a coronary artery calcium score. Again, in our organization, we can get them dirt cheap. Not sure how that works uh, where you live. Uh, um, but again, I think the only the only thing you need to tell people about that coronary calcium score, at least in my organization, I re- always warn them about the risk of developing um, or the risk of finding an incidental lung finding. That's probably no big deal, but uh, might uh, might cause further testing or further evaluation needed. Uh, and again, I think that this is something that. It's a nice tool. To maybe keep people that don't need to be on statins off statins, but at the same time, uh, potentially, potentially uh, identifying people who would benefit from statins the most in the same in the same cohort. So, uh, again, uh, hopefully this was helpful for you. Hopefully, as you talk about primary prevention of heart attacks and strokes with your patients, some of the highest yield things we as clinicians can do. Hopefully, this gives you another tool in your arsenal to make you feel more comfortable with that gray zone, with that intermediate risk pool. With the, with the gray zone of medicine here, uh, to know maybe who needs to be on a statin sooner than who doesn't need to be a statin. Another tool you can use to make your patients feel more comfortable about their decision to start a statin or to be able to hold off on a statin and gives you some peace of mind too, that, there's, that it doesn't just have to be based on a single number, that you can use other tools then to help you further classify risk. Um, so hopefully this was helpful. This has been Dr. Mark List uh, from the Primary Care Pod. Again, email us at primarycarepod at gmail.com. We'd love to get your uh, feedback and hear from you. Um, and uh, again, we'll sign off today saying you don't need to stay up to date. You don't need to stay up all night to stay up to date. Thank you and have a great week, everybody.